My name's Chris Denton. And my name's Paul Monk. And we are a very British horror. Now we're going to do something slightly different this week, or this time. Yeah, pretty Um, different. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about this for a little while, and we thought, given everything that's going on and the whole lockdown thing, now would be a good time to just do this as a bit a bit of a distraction. So we started talking about various fantasy films, mainly coming around from this this particular film. Um, and I think we discussed about doing a sort of a very British fantasy type um, podcast, uh, as, as well as the horror one. And then we th- then we sort of thought, well, why not kick off with this particular film and make it a sort of um, side episode um, and maybe we'll do them sort of a bit more often perhaps so it's a sort of bonus episode yeah a- a- absolutely what we're not trying to do is to like aggravate and irritate fans of British horror and of podcasts that's just kind of like a consequence of the decisions we make <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, but I have always loved the fantasy genre and particularly yep. 80s film fantasy. Now, 80s film fantasy has some really shining classics now. Um, so, Labyrinth, very recently, uh, the sequel's been announced. Uh, over time, people have come to really appreciate Labyrinth. You've got Time Bandits, a massive classic of the period. Those are just two of the films that we didn't choose to talk about. Yeah. So, Paul, Paul, what did we decide to watch? So we we decided to watch the 1983 science fantasy swashbuckler film, as it's referred to in Wikipedia, um, directed by the guy who directed Bullet, of all things. That's very random. Yeah, and written by a guy that wrote the, the sequel to the film with Clint Eastwood and an, and an ape. That's so, very random too. I, <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's... No, he wrote, he wrote um, we'll, we'll mention it later perhaps, but yeah, he wrote Any Which Way You Can, which was the, the, the sequel to. Yeah, yeah. probably the best, second best orangutan movie ever. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, we, we, we're digressing. We are going to be talking about Kral. Kral, of course we are. Of course we are. Everyone knew that anyway, because that's the name of the file. But, you know, we've given it 10 minutes build up. So, well done us. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's thinking, oh, yeah, maybe it was Hawk the Slayer. I don't know, or something like that. What was the Beastmaster? It really should have been the Beastmaster. But that's not even British. We, 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 we'll keep to the kind of British theme. Oh, and, and, and do you know, because I hadn't watched Kroll since I was a child until, until we were watching it for this podcast. And um, one, one thing that I couldn't believe when we were discussing what, what we were going to watch, and I still really can't believe it having just seen it again, is that it was a really high budget film. They spent a load of money on it. it yes, it was a very, very over budget film. It, it's one of those... One of those films where I think it's fair to say the money doesn't appear on the screen. <laughs> I don't know. 
Well, some people have praised it for the special effects and the set design. Um, well, I, I, I mean, it's a point of view would be my response to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, 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 think it, I think it generally looks quite nice. I think a lot of the budget went on the location filming and possibly on the fact that they hired out all 10 sound stages at Pinewood. I think that's where the money went, yes, the sound stages. But I think generally it looks quite good. I think, I think the special effects uh, uh, are, are not, they, they, they work reasonably well, but they're not great considering this came out the same year as Return of the Jedi. They're fundamentally misconceived. Um, so, <laughs> okay, so, so even before we talk about the plot, I'd just like to, to come back to what you, you said was like the genre, because we said fantasy, but it's science, fiction, fantasy, swashbuckling. Um, yeah. that, 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 that's completely true. Uh, and you might think that, that, that no film like that wouldn't work and you, you know, <laughs> and, and Kral kind of is like that because um, it is a fantasy film. It has, but it starts with the opening shot, which is um, similar uh, to an opening of a Star Wars film, isn't it? With like a, 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 a like the, the space fortress coming up to the planet crop, yeah. <laughs> and, and um, the, the 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 slayers who like the evil black knights have laser guns. <laughs> it's yeah. Yeah. And, and then the action scenes are. Um, Errol Flynn style, swashbuckling, swinging on chandeliers style. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it's, it's, it's just like, what even is this? I, my head is like, I don't understand. <laughs> but then, there you go, it's, 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 just, it's just collapsed these three genres into one. <laughs> um, well, apparently, originally, um, when it was originally conceived, and it was going to be a sort of medieval setting. Um, and then at various points, the decisions were made to make it much more of a fantasy and, and make it not really based in any kind of historical setting. Well, it's, out, it's now set on, a, on the planet Kral, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, I, 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 I saw that. Um, and, and, and indeed, this, the science fiction element um, Presumably, in fact, absolutely, definitely, is because of Star Wars. So, so, so they, yes. they thought that that would probably, in, in, you know, make it more appealing to people. But, but I, I don't know. I, th I think you know the, the early eighties, early to mid eighties, is is full of like attempts to reproduce the success of Star Wars without really no realizing why people like Star Wars. So yeah. you, you, yeah. You, so you got you got some really quite good films uh, like Flash Gordon and June from two jumping yeah. one, but actually, you know um, they're good. But you, you you watch June and think, why did you think kids would like this It's just like people didn't didn't get. Um, do you remember the, going off a tangent again? Do you remember the, there was a a very uh, a complete failure of a, a toy line that came out with June. Yeah, yeah, I, I had the June sticker album. I collected it avidly, but but you had, had action figures. It's such a dark film. It's just like it's not for kids at all. It's a David Lynch film. 
it's, 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 it's like having action figures of Lost Highway. It's just, yeah. Um, which would be brilliant, by the way. But it's just, yeah. Um, and, I, I, and I think um, Krull is another, you know, example, a very expensive example of, um, you know, uh, people not understanding why Star Wars was good. Um, yeah. But then, okay, but it's got lots of, lots of interesting things about it, really interesting things about it. And there's no, there's no other film quite like it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that's, well, yeah. that's definitely the case. Um, I'd just like, unless you, you want to add any more on that, maybe explain what the setup is. Um, yeah, I'll sort of try. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, let's do it together, Paul. Because, but, but basically, um, the the aliens invade Krull, and the aliens are the beast and his yeah. legions, the slayers, yeah. and this kind of pu puts a dampener on the wedding plans of um, Ken Marshall and Lisette Anthony uh, playing Prince Colwyn and Princess Somebody or other. Lisa. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> So the, the, the wedding, as I understand it, the wedding is taking place because their families used to be enemies, but they're joining their uh, offspring together so that they uh, can join together to defeat the, the, the beast and, and his, uh, his army. Uh, yes. So that's why they're getting married, I think. Yeah, and it's kind of medieval arranged marriage that they've got going on. Maybe a hangover from a previous version of the screenplay. But, but anyway, the um, the nuptials are interrupted by uh, the Slayers who attack the castle, don't they? And yeah. and, and then you have this big set piece um, of Errol Finn fighting the Stormtroopers. Um, Even with a swinging on a, not a chandelier, but a rope. Yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're fighting laser guns with swords, aren't they? <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, and not surprisingly, the, um, the human characters are basically wiped out, but Prince Colwyn is only not critically injured, and um, uh, Princess, you remember her name, is kidnapped, which seems to be the... Um, the object of the exercise um, because the, the, for some reason which never explained uh, the beast wants to uh, marry her himself um, we'll, we'll be uh, we'll be saying that a lot I think reasons never explained yeah yes. I don't know I mean obviously we get that in Flash Gordon don't we with with being the merciless wanted to marry Dale Orden um, <laughs> I'm not sure why he wants to do that either. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we'll, save it. we'll save it for the Flash Gordon podcast, but I, I think that makes sense. Great science fiction. This is a yeah. franchise we're building here. Yeah, well, that, no, I mean, that's not, that's still, that falls into the same ballpark as Kroll, really, doesn't it? Well, it's, uh, yeah, but this, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, anyway, um, yeah, it makes more sense in, in Flash Gordon as to why Ming wants to do that. And here, the only thing I could think of is that there's this kind of um, uh, Freddie James does a little prophecy uh, sort of voiceover bit at the beginning where he talks about um, 
the, that whole union thing and um, yeah, yeah, they, 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 they will rule the whole of Kral, and and their son will rule the galaxy. Yeah. So, so I think it's to do that. Do you think he's going to be democratically elected president of the galaxy, or, or, of <laughs> or is he going to be worse than the beast? That's never really explained. <laughs> or is the beast actually their their son from the ah. future? Ah, anything possible in this film. Clever. In fact, that, that does make, that, that sort of makes a bit of sense then, but it makes it much more disturbing. <laughs> but it's an interesting <laughs> line of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Fre Freddie Jones um, plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, or Gandalf, whichever one fits the particular scene. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> but he's he, he, an old hermit that, um, that that comes and rescues Prince Colwyn and sets him on his quest to, to, uh, to find the dark fortress and and free the uh, princess thingamy and um, um, you know generally um, save the world from the evil black knights. Yeah. Um, Again, he doesn't, he doesn't, there's not really any real reason why he shows up or, or, or why he's there. He's just... He's come down I mean, from the they say, don't they? Yeah, I think, the, I think we're just led, I think we're just, it's, it's sort of taken as read that we've seen Star Wars and read Lord of the Rings. So we, we, we know the kind of uh, wizardy old man speaks in mysterious riddles archetype thing so we we know that that's that's what his role is i think i think that's i think they just yeah can't be bothered to actually explain it properly so okay and, and i think it's worth, worth we're saying um freddie jones uh, amazing amazing actor who also amazing in june <laughs> yeah. and, and um lots of, a couple of connections in this yeah that's right uh, yes, uh, although I've temporarily forgotten the other one. Go for it, Paul. Um, that's uh, Francesca Annis. It is, it is, isn't it? Yes, uh, the Paul Atreides' yeah. mother, um, Mrs. Atreides. Yeah. I'm really good at names today. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, she's Jessica, that's, that's it, isn't it? Jessica Atreides. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, which is it's interesting that, 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 that David Lynch presumably watched this film and thought, yeah, this is what I want, but he, he, he is prone to doing things like that, so is, fair is June, Was June before this? Well, no, it was after this, wasn't it? I'm sure June's after this, isn't that? Just slightly yeah. afterwards, though. Maybe Carl hadn't flopped by the time that, that, when they were casting it, but... Um, but anyway, I'm really pleased to see um, both those uh, actors, particularly Freddie Jones, whose role is more substantial. Um, but because you know he is—he—he he, I mean, he's not Alec Guinness, but he—he—he he, he does lend some some weight to this, doesn't it? Doesn't he? I mean, he, yeah. he and and you know Ken, Ken Marshall and Lizette Anthony are likable and able leads. So I know Lizette Anthony, of course. Uh, classic English Rose, um, lots and lots of film TV. Uh, Ken Marshall, no, um, he's kind of 
like Sam J. Jones again, isn't he? But um, but he really does have that Errol Flynn thing going on, uh, like properly, like he can properly do it. So um, yeah, maybe I mean he never became a big name because Kral flopped, but also because perhaps he's kind of an act. Um, best suited to films which were in another time because <laughs> there weren't a lot of swashbuckling films in the 80s um, and, and there was an attempt to revive them wasn't there in, in the 90s but it went very badly wrong so um, yeah um, so, so, so I actually feel like the, the cast and, and you know the cast of this is really really strong um, yeah. So, 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 so that's not, not something you you could criticise here. It's probably uh, one of like for an eighties movie. It's uh, they were one of the top casts you can get. Although, again, so. they all have really good casts. Now I come to think of it, but you know, this, this, this is, and this isn't like a, a B movie type type type, type things. Um, you, you know, no, I don't I, wanna, I don't want to criticise anyone, but this this one isn't. Starring Mark Singer, I love Mark Singer. I love the Beastmaster, but you know, it's it's not it's not. Uh, in some ways, it isn't a B movie, but in lots of ways, it, it is it really is. Yeah. Um, okay, um, and then more plot. Um, so, um, Colwyn and Gandalf Dumbledore, um, they they start to build a band of adventurers, don't they? <laughs> a fellowship. If you will, uh, <laughs> uh, and the first one is a. Well, can we can we talk about because before that um, they okay? talk about the the glaive and this and it being a symbol and there being lots of legends about it. Oh, Scalibur. Yeah, and and um, the lightsaber. That <laughs> yeah. whole weird sequence where. And, and this happens a lot in this film, where they go off to a particular place, and um, so this is the um, yeah the glaive is is Kroll's version of Excalibur, and yeah. uh, it's li- it's lying it's literally just lying around. So 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 um, in some lava. Yeah, Freddie Freddie Yoda just says, "Well, it's not lava though, is it? Because it's 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 water with with steam." A bit. Of, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, because when he takes it out, it's covered in rock, which then crumbles. Ah, oh, but you know, yeah, it's, it's it's a weird it's, thing to do with fire, and because it looks because the effect is pretty bad then, because it looks like water. Yeah, it, um, with red lights, admittedly, but it's water. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's meant to be lava because there's this whole thing about flames and. Ah, uh, see, that would make. That would make that a bit more sense, um, yeah. Because I, I mean, I just but also it's the lady in the lake, isn't it? So the, the, this is the yeah. skull of a bit. Um, so so I, I, I was thinking that, but I was also thinking it's like it's essentially just lying around. <laughs> this well, weapon, the true king of Kral, it's just lying around. Anyway. He has to do this sort of treacherous climb over lo- loads of mountains and various things that um, uh, Freddie Jones hasn't hasn't told him 
where to go or anything. So he's just climbing up in all these mountains and then suddenly just comes across it in a cave. And then obviously sees that it, I, it, I thought it was a bit weird that he sees it in what I think was lava. And the first thing he does, which is what you would obviously do, is stick your hand in it. No, because Freddie Jones could have sent him up there with like a metal pole to just fish it out. Yeah. Yeah, but no, he's got to stick his hand in. But it's fine because his hand's fine. And then, and then he gets the glaive and comes back down. And then Freddie Jones is all like, "Oh no, we can't use it now. You have to wait till the right moment, and you'll know when that moment is." Yeah, and it's a bit like a so it's sort of. And then it's where it's like Excalibur, but it's a lightsaber. It's it's yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Um, Anyway, we yes, but I I I I found that very frustrating, and and of course um, one of the great '80s fantasies films was Excalibur, so um, which which was a very similar time made to this as well. Um, I, I don't I don't necessarily think that uh, that kind of fantasy film. It, is is the same as, as as like a Lord of the Rings or, or but anyway, um, I don't necessarily like the Arthurian bit of it. I, d I don't think it fits very well. Um, and, and, and I when we skip on, I'm much happier with the Fellowship stuff because yeah. like the, they meet a wizard and there's some really bad visual effects. This wizard can do shape changing, can't he? You got turning people into animals and accidentally turns himself into a pig or something. Yeah, but he, he, he's got them written down on little bits of paper. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's like Rent-A-Ghost style special effects. It's really, <laughs> it's not big budget film special effects. And, and, and it doesn't help as well that the, the, the actor who plays um, the sorcerer, who, who, whose name also escapes me, um, is uh, a stalwart of British comedy, isn't he? Uh, t t like a supporting TV actor, uh, David Batley, who's got a long list of credits and his face here you'd recognise, but um, who, 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 who really didn't have any significant roles, in, 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 like big meaty roles in TV or, or film ever, as far as I can tell. Uh, but you just know the face. He's like a, the Michael Whipper of comedy. Uh, which is a, a, a compliment. I mean that as a compliment. And he and he's great uh, as as C three PO. I think his role in this is like C three PO, the kind of cowardly comedy um, stuff. Um, and um, he, we, I think, on our last, um, well, we talked about it recently. Anyway, it wasn't, wasn't our last episode. But he's uh, the teacher from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's, there's, there's a there's, yeah, there's a connection there, um, and then but then then things get really weird, don't we? Don't they? Because um, uh, well, all right. So they're they're being sort of stalked by a cyclops from the Carry On films, and but before they meet him, they um, they get. <laughs> They, they get ambushed by a gang of bandits who are actually like the cream of the uh, stage of screen. 
So uh, led by Alan Armstrong uh, with Liam Neeson, what we call Train, and Todd Carty amongst the uh, <laughs> among, amongst the merry band of men. Yeah, um, all, all early roles, I think. Yes, yes, uh, but it's it's a bit of a yeah. Obviously, I'm surprised no enterprising marketing uh, person never put Liam name, Neeson's name above the title, Liam Neeson in Krull, you know, <laughs> if you'd like to take in your love, Krull. I, I think the, the catchline writes itself. I'm surprised I've never seen it. <laughs> but but it, it kind of unbalances. You always get this when you get um, like a breakout star uh, in a smaller role. It, it, um, yeah. It's like... Um, Oh, uh, if if you watch, um, if, you, if you come across like uh, a film where Marilyn Monroe's like the the seventh film person, in it, it's just like, yeah, this is now a Marilyn Monroe film, although she wasn't meant to be. Like, I think it's Monkey Business is what I'm thinking of. But, but it, yeah, but it's it's yeah. like because they they, they 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 shine and you're you're drawn to them, but that's not what you, that's not what's meant to happen. Um, so, so in here you've got big long-term A-lister Liam Neeson in, in like um, uh, yeah yeah just 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 play, playing essentially one of one of the um, the cannon fodder one of <laughs> one, one of the doomed uh, bandits <laughs> and uh, the uh, yeah Robbie Coltrane as well and um, you know Robbie Coltrane in kind of an actiony kind of role again early in his career. Uh, he was really associated with comedy, I think, uh, but it, obviously this is not a comedic role. Um, now, this is interesting. With, with, with Robbie Coltrane, he obviously doesn't speak with a Scottish accent in this. And according to Wikipedia, his voice is dubbed over by Michael Alphick. Oh, yes. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know. I thought, because I thought, Robbie Coltrane is perfectly capable of doing a an English accent. So, yeah, I, 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 I was a bit confused by that because I wasn't entirely sure that it, it was him. That he was dubbed. That's, that's, that's interesting. I did, I did, I did read that. Um, and I Michael Elphick as well. <laughs> I like him, but um, it, it's not really jarring. Um, so, 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 so um, it's yeah because you know Robbie Coltrane probably could have done a similar voice like that if they'd asked him to. They probably just objected to, yeah. to his, his Scottish accent for some reason. Maybe they thought it was weird to have a, a different accent. I don't know why they did it because Liam Neeson's not dubbed. <laughs> but oh, no, he's, he's very Irish. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, thing, obviously, with Michael Elphick in there and Lizette Anthony, we've got like. Three up, two down. Three up, two down. Yeah, well, it's Michael Jason when you need him. Yeah, which was uh, which was obviously the thing that um, Lizette Anthony was famous for. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. But we'll cover that in a very British sitcom. <laughs> anyway. Um, right. Uh, I think then um, the Cyclops... Uh, I, I can't exactly remember when he joins, but but the it's quite, bit, it's quite a bit later because the I thought this was odd because 
Um, we meet the Psychops when, when Ergo, who's the uh, comic relief David Batley guy, uh, when he runs into the forest, almost immediately he goes in there, he sees the Cyclops, who, who looks a bit sort of surprised, but then he looks a bit surprised most of the time. Um, he, he, and which causes him to run off and rejoin um, Colwyn. And, um, and then we don't see him for quite a bit after that. And, and that always, I always thought that was a little bit odd because he's just there and it's like, again, not mentioned. So, the, yeah, Ergo doesn't come out and go, oh, it's a funny tall man with one eye. It's just not mentioned. And then it turns up a yeah. fair bit later, I think. It's, it's, it, okay, so that, that, that's, that's true. Um, and, and unfortunately, my, my, it's blurred into one a, a little bit because, um, so we'll deal with it, right, in two parts. So one, um, you've got, this is not necessarily um, in the right order, but uh, doesn't matter. Um, Rail, the Cyclops, joins the band and Rail is Bernard Breslau, but he's wearing um, a kind of a prosthetic uh, which covers the whole of the top of his uh, yeah. face. So, so, so it's basically Bernard Breslau's real mouth, uh, and then, then he's got uh, like a fake top of his head with a single eye that they, yeah, so he's a cyclops. Um, but, yeah. but then he's also doing a slightly different voice to it, like it's not. Like, you, in fact, I don't think you would ever know um, if you that it was the guy from Carry On Camping. <laughs> no. If, 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 you, if you didn't get that from the credits. Um, like, I don't know why this was, but for some reason, his, his voice, um, when I was watching it, I couldn't help think, thinking he, he sounded a little bit like Alan Partridge. <laughs> Well, he's not doing, and I've seen a lot of carry on films so I've made a study uh, but he's not he, he, he's not doing his own voice he's, he's, he's putting on a kind of slightly posher slightly, slightly yeah. strange voice isn't he um, and, and that plus the, the heavy makeup means he's unrecognisable but, but he's not I mean it's not bad the, the, the no. thing that's jarring is the um that it doesn't look real, <laughs> so it's it's not like it looks like a real eye or anything. It it, look, it looks like um, uh, Harryhausen. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 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 it, it looks like something from Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> and, and then there is a link, I think, because um, Clash of the Titans is another one of these great eighties fantasy films. I think um, the, the, someone, the, the, at least one special effects guy for Clash of the Titans also worked on this. And there's a like a stop motion spider, isn't there, as well? Although um, I think they might have redone that. But um, yeah. so, so, so the, the, they're, they're also influenced by that that look as well. But but then Harryhausen and that kind of genre is is different and much earlier. Clash, yeah. Clash of the Titans. Um, it's great. It's great. Everyone, you know, Crystal Titans is great, but, but but it was dated in the early eighties because it was like Clash of, Clash of the Titans is almost like a kind of uh, 
a sort of celebration or tribute to those sorts of films. Exactly. It, it, it's like a, um, you know, the Zim, the Sim, Simbad, and 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 yeah. the Argonauts, like films from much twenty years earlier. <laughs> yeah. So 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 so. so all you're doing by, by doing that kind of thing is making it retro. <laughs> it's just, yeah. well, and I guess, I guess swashbuckling is also doing that, but they're two different things. That's what, that's what I mean about just like putting loads of different stuff together in a weird way. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, that, that was the Cyclops, but, but, the scene, because um, they, they pick up a, a seer, don't they, who tells them they've got to go into the swamp to, to, to find some, some, something or other. So, so go to the Emerald Temple, isn't it? Um, but That's a, oh, Yeah, no, they're going to find the, 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 the Emerald Seer first, aren't they? They, they find mm. him and the Emerald Seer has to take him to the Emerald Temple for, to, for them to know this... where the Dark Fortress is going to be because it moves around every day. Now, um, I really like that idea. I thought that was really quite interesting. The idea that the, the, the baddies' fortress moved every single day to somewhere different on the planet. And I yeah. quite like that. I thought that was quite clever. I, I think so too. And I think um, I've been w watching um, a Netflix show called Castlevania. Right, yeah. And it uses more or less the same idea with Dracula's castle. Uh, it's, uh, and uh, I know Castlevania is a, a pretty old game. I don't think it's um, that old that that Kronik the idea. I think it was Castlevania probably thought that's a good idea. <laughs> we'll have the castle move around. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so you're right. It is a good idea, and it's so good that that it's not. It's, it's not gone to waste. People have, have, have adopted it for their own ends. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, um, oh, yeah. Well, this, but that's kind of like a magic thing, isn't it? Again, well, the earliest the, the fortress was set up as like a landed spaceship. The the um, the fact that it moves every day at um, at sunrise. Or, yeah. Also, or is it sunsets the next sunset or something like that? The fact that it does that. It is magic. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because it, it doesn't take off and fly somewhere else. It, well, it doesn't like it doesn't even like a, a teleport thing. If it was a teleport thing, yeah. it could just go. It wouldn't have to be at a specific time of day. We could just go when it wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an arbitrary. It's a, it's a great device. It's a narrative device because it doesn't make any sense in the context of the. the but the, yeah, it doesn't make sense in the context of the, the rules that are set up for, for this world, but then they don't make, and you said we'd say this a lot, they don't make sense. <laughs> they're, well, they're a mishmash. There aren't any rules. And, and the thing with this, this film is that no one's largely sat down and thought this out. So one of the big things that's annoyed me immensely about this film was that You'll have Freddie Jones saying, oh, it's terrible. There's like this. There's only one way to, to find out how to get to the castle. Oh, and it's the only way and it's really dangerous. And then they go there and it, it, that, that doesn't work. And he goes, oh, well, then there's this other way. 
that's the only way we can find out where, where the fortress is and it's really really dangerous and then yeah it's sort of it's almost like the writer's kind of written himself into a bit of a corner and then goes yeah well there's this is other thing we don't need to explain it well that's right but however there is an upside to, to, to that because um you know they go to the swamp don't they the emerald temple but the um the uh, seer gets replaced by a doppelganger and it's it basically yeah. doesn't work out. But um, the, the scenes in the swamp, there's a, there's a, there's a fight sequence with um, uh, the, the slayers and then, then there's a quicksand scene, isn't there? And then there's the doppelganger. Um, it's my favourite part of the movie. I think, you know, the action scene really works. The atmosphere in the swamp is really good. So I think it's the best set and it's the most coherent part of the film as well <laughs> so um i think it's the best part of the film yeah apparently it was quite dangerous to work in that set as well because people get nearly falling in and bernard breslau um very nearly fell in several times because he couldn't see where he was going yeah because of um, the prosthetic yeah and apparently apparently it was really cold is there something about how they couldn't manage to heat the whole set yeah, because these so, were sound stages, yeah. And yeah, so, it was a very cold winter of 83, they filmed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah um, but sometimes you have to suffer for your art, Paul. And I think um, that actually this it was good stuff. And then you're absolutely right to say. And then they undermine it by uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, there's a plan B. There is a plan B. I've got to go and see my old girlfriend. Uh, yeah. Because that's his plan B to go to the widow of the web. And, and, and obviously, that certain death, but don't, it's like, don't, don't, don't worry. Uh, she'll talk to me because <laughs> old girlfriend. And then um, the, the, the whole setup for the widow of the web is. Um, it, it, like there's a, a great big spider in the middle and, and, and there's this old lady in, in the middle of it and, and um, you have to talk to her because she can tell you where, where the uh, um, uh, where, where the castle's going to be but um, I, I, unfortunately there's a, the, there is a bit of a sting in the tail um, which, which is that um, uh, Obi-Wan gets struck down by Darth Vader he ends up he, he, he ends up having having to sacrifice himself to get the information back that okay just the bit of the film the part of the film where that always happens but um the the scene between uh, francesca Annis as the the widow with freddie jones is like um uh, she's been put there for infanticide she's killed yeah. the, the the baby that they had together but out of jealousy or anger or something and I'm just like well, that just went really dark <laughs> and, um, yeah. in fact I actually wrote that in my notes that, that his backstory was quite dark but it, but it, that's sort of all introduced and then not uh, I, I sort of feel like that was all introduced and it was a big kind of info dump it's like yeah we better give them some sort of backstory or connection but um, like a lot in this film, it didn't really have any sort of emotional resonance. And, and I felt that, that, that 
surely that that should have really been some sort of clue to something that was going to happen later on and it just felt like it was a whole lot of quite a nice little sort of backstory there that that well but, but you're also learning a bit uh, about um about the freddie jones character before we say goodbye to him i guess because he he has been very mysterious so i guess they say well this is a bit of what got him to this point of being this this um, this Svengali you know, mental figure yeah no no I, I agree it gives him a little bit of backstory which is desperately needed but it it sort of feels like it introduces a a a thread to it that isn't then picked up in any way yeah, spiders uh, a spider's thread um but also there is a there's a real spider as well isn't there and um it's quite bad. It's, I mean, it's functional, but it's not good. But then spiders are really hard in films because there's a yeah. lot of people with arachnophobia. If you put a spider in a film, you're going to upset them. So, and the, the scarier the, you make the spider, the worse it's going to be. So, yeah. um, like, like so when, I, when I said to my wife, I'm going to watch Krull, she was like, oh, yeah, it's got a spider in it. So it's, it's like, the, so I'm watching that with you because spider. <laughs> it's like, so, so, so you, you have to be careful and may, maybe there was a, there was an element of this, this, this spider where they were just like trying to not tip um, arachnophobes over the edge. So it's actually not that scary. Although it's meant, it's meant to be like super murderous, isn't it? But <laughs> they, yeah. it doesn't really come across like that. <laughs> no. And again, it's kind of nicking something from Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely it is. And um, when the Lord of the Rings films got, get to their shell up, uh, that's really horrible, which is how you have to do it. <laughs> but, uh, the other thing with that scene as well, apparently um, that was actually built actual size, that whole set with the web and that bit in the middle was actually massively, was really huge. Um, so all of that was built and Freddie Jones is actually having to go along that, that, those ropes with no safety harness or safety wire because... And it's, you're right, so it's really dangerous, really expensive so, and it still yeah. looks cheap. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's really kind of like, yeah, I think this is the, like, I, going back to the beginning, people praise the, 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 the effects and the design of this film, but I cannot do that because I just think it's just, it's just that you can't, the money isn't on the screen. That's it was on the location, though, like I said before. So when they were on some of the, the, the location, I think it's in Italy, you can see that they've spent a lot of money on the location. Well, they've well, got on a plane. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not, not, and there's lots of filming of mountains and rocks and beautiful landscapes and stuff. Almost like that that was something that Peter Yates was a bit more interested in. Well, yeah, okay. I'll, yeah. But yes, I agree with all that sort of stuff, despite the size and it, it was quite, um, it was quite, uh, yeah, it does look quite cheap, which is odd because, um, the, the, the effects are sort of supervised by Derek Meddings, who we know from many different things, but also the sort of 70s Bond films. And they, they generally all look great. No, they do, they do. So, 
Um, but I think moving on from the the the, the widow of the web, then uh, then the, 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 they find the location, but it's so it's like a lot of it's a they say four hundred leagues or whatever it is. I don't. I, it, it, it's it's a long way away. But but don't worry um, because we can get the fire horses to do it. Now, fire. Fire mares, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, well, but, but these horses who just look like normal horses, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they can go really fast. Yeah, but and then there's kind of an effect for them going really fast, but it's it's not great. If you think about uh, Pegasus in Clash of the Titans, it's not yeah. like that. <laughs> that. That was good. This is this is just horses. <laughs> yeah. With some post fire. Yeah, that kind of made me chuckle when I saw that bit because it's almost like, oh, it's really, really far away. And then the Cyclops just goes, well, there are fire mares. We could get some of those. What? This thing that's never been mentioned before. It's just conveniently there. And, and hang on, there's a whole load here that we can just capture. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the fire mayors take them to the, um, the the Death Star. Sorry, not the Death Star, the Dark Fortress. <laughs> and um, it, it's getting on for time for the fortress to go. But they, 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 there's a battle, and the Cyclops um, sacrifices himself so that the um, the good guys can get in. Um, and I've just realised um, I've missed one of my favourite scenes. Um, which is um, when the when the, the, the merry group, uh, uh, I think they're waiting for uh, the widow of the, the web stuff to resolve itself. So they're all just chilling out, aren't they? They send out for pizza, and and um, there's, there's... They, they, they send out for the women. Yeah, come and cook. But there, there, there's this girl who's who's helping with the food, isn't there? Uh, but she's actually like an agent of the beast. But she's another um, changeling. But um, but but in, in after like a ninety second conversation with Colwyn, she's like, "Yeah, I'm on your side now." <laughs> so she so she completely defects. And then the beast, who's seen this remotely, gets angry and kills her. But it's like, that's that's a pretty good charisma that Colwyn's got there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I can see it was a nice idea, but I don't, I don't know how you're meant to play that, how you're meant to turn a changeling into round in 90 seconds just by being decent. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, 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 actually, I, I liked that. I thought it was... I, I, I thought it was out there enough that it made me laugh, but also it was... I mean, it, it sort of moved the plot on because it, 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 it also combined with the dialogue scene about the beast saying a bit about why he wanted to marry um, the princess with no name. And um, yeah, and it also gave, gave this out Anthony another scene while she was watching this remotely because obviously she's been trapped in the 
Death Star the whole time, like another yeah. princess in another film. Um, this is not this is not a good film for for female characters, is it? It's it's very much a uh, um, yeah. Well, the, uh, people, you know, the, like the original Star Wars trilogy. If you take out Princess Leia, doesn't have a lot of um, female no. parts in it. Um, yeah, um, and this is very similar. Um, unfortunately, yes, uh, it, it probably could have could have done with being a bit more progressive in that in that mix. I mean, it was of its time, but it, even then, people would have noticed stuff like that. Um, but then, you know, you know, in those days, uh, they were aiming. Obviously, the, the they're making this for like pretty boys, weren't they? And they were. I don't think that they were. Um, I, I don't think that then they would have had a problem with focusing on that market. It would, um, but the whole thing uh, <laughs> now comes across as misogynist because of that. Yeah. <laughs> Incidentally, there's, um, it was bothering me, and I just had to, to look her up. But the, um, the 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 woman that was the changeling that um, was sent out to basically make Colwyn be unfaithful was played by a, a woman called Belinda Main, and that rang a bell. Um, just, just so you know, and, and we always have to throw a, a Doctor Who connection in here, but she was Delta in Delta and the Bannerman. <laughs> was she? Yeah. That's where I recognise the name from. The second um, obvious, the second Doctor Who connection in this film. I'm sure there might be more. Okay, well, um, what was the first Doctor Who connection? So the first Doctor Who connection is The Beast, is voiced by an actor called Trevor Martin. Oh, the um, master! Well, in the 1960s, he played the he played the Doctor in the... Uh, Keys to Mariners, yes. So he's not... Yeah. yeah. Not, not the Keys to Mariners, what am I saying? Um, the stage play. Yeah. It wasn't called that, it was called the Key... Yeah, something, it was the Keys of something, I can't remember what it was now. Keys yeah, no. Keys of Day or something. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. My Doctor Who knowledge is shame, shame, shamefully poor at the at, at the moment. Yes. Um, and the guy that played the blind seer earlier was apparently in the Revenge of Frankenstein, a Hammer film. Tying right. it back to normal theme, and also in Rasputin the Mad Monk, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't say I recognised him. To be fair, no. <laughs> to be fair. Um, okay, so um, I'll stop thinking about Doctor Who. I'm massively distracted by Doctor Who now, but I'll stop thinking about that because um, the the big finale in in, in the fortress. Um, this is where things stop making sense completely because <laughs> the, the, the beast seems to have complete control of the environment. So like. Um, but once they finish fighting the Slayers, he, he can send them into like rooms full of spikes and things, can't he? But um, then... I made the floor open up. Yeah, but then Colwyn uses the glave. And, yeah. and, and then, and then um, 
but then he's got like Jedi powers. As soon as he's done that, he, he he's got like superpowers. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, no. What what apparently it is is they they the, the apparently him and the princess together once they they're married and they do like a really hasty finishing off the marriage ceremony. Apparently, at that point, they 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 then become super powerful. Although in an obviously completely sexist way, uh, Colwyn's the only one who has any power powers whatsoever. Um, so yeah, apparently that's why that is. So they don't actually need the glaive because he's now super powerful because he he's got married. So make of that what you want. Well, I got married. I don't remember the superpowers. No. <laughs> yeah. But 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 it kind of um, because they, they fight the, the beast who we, we see, but we you never actually see the beast. Do you? It was all kind of like out of focus and little glimpses yeah. and things. And I wonder if it's meant to sort of sort of show that he's in some other reality or something, or is not quite on the same plane of existence as everything else. But well, but it also gives the impression that the uh, effects haven't worked and they're trying to hide that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i think it looks i mean i think that the the beast sort of prosthetic looks looks all right from what from what you see of it it's okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not intimidating though um yeah and it's it's it's, it's okay it doesn't right so the whole thing doesn't have um but it doesn't have the polish of industrial light and magic. It doesn't have the flair of Jim Henson. Um, so, so, um, and, and it's not um, directed by someone with a real feel for like spectacular, um, like Ridley Scott with the Legends. So there's lots yeah. of there's lots of great fantasy films where people have got really strong attributes and. and, and you know, well, this film is, has no, has nothing. <laughs> I know that's hard, <laughs> but, but I, I, apparently Peter Yates saw it as a uh, a bit of a challenge because all of his previous other films all kind of quite realistic, gritty sorts of crime dramas. Um, and like I said, he directed Bullet, the Steve, which is great. Which is a great <laughs> film, and one of the the best scenes in Bullet. Is um, like one shot of Steve McQueen and, and another policeman going through the evidence. Um, so, so, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, that is really sort of a, a small and, uh, and doing a lot with, um, with minimalist um, um, technique, uh, which you can't do that against the film like Krull. But also, Bullet does have a really boring car chase in it. <laughs> which, 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 which is, you know, maybe a, a clue that uh, even when, at his best, he wasn't really the guy for the big action set pieces. Well, apparently, as well, I was reading that he got he got a bit fed up with the film and halfway through went on holiday for a few weeks. I saw, yeah, I saw that too. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, so so, so I, I think these these big fantasy films, they, they, they were hellish to make. I think I, I watched the documentary about 
Flash Gordon, and it was just a nightmare. It was, you know, <laughs> these things are difficult to do. Um, I, I think, um, I think the main thing that that, that hurts Krull is um, that they they kept changing the idea of what it was. Um, so it doesn't really have a really strong vision for for what the world is, what the setup is, uh, what it should look like, what what it should be like. And so, and so yeah. because it's then lots of things that people, various people involved like or like, I mentioned Robin Hood was good. Let's do something like that. And and, and also, you know, Legend of King Arthur's always popular. Let's put that in. Um, that kind of stuff. Quicksand. I mean, really yeah. quicksand. But okay, shove it in. <laughs> it's like um, all, 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 um, as. It doesn't work because there's no strong vision for it. However, it's not boring and it's not unwatchable. It has like some really good things in it. Um, it's just as a whole, it doesn't, it doesn't work because there's no uh, strong idea of what it should be. <laughs> and pro- pro- probably because, um, well, because Peter Yates didn't have that. The, no, nobody really had that. There wasn't even a, no. there wasn't even a, a, a script. Um, I mean, I think I, I think there was they were continually changing the script uh, through the production because they they were using like a rejected first draft um, because they hate they didn't like the second draft even more than they didn't like the first draft. So they, they used the first draft but were changing it as they went. It was um, a, a troubled production. Ha- However, the glaive is cool. I will, I mean, it is cool. I mean, the, the special effects of the glaive in the opening title sequence are absolutely terrible, but in the film itself, it, it's cool. And, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's, it's I, the I only thing that I remembered you... about it. Yeah, go on. It's the only thing I remembered about it from seeing it as a kid that, that yeah. I had this vague idea Bernard Bresdor was in it, and, and I remembered the glaive. I think, though, when he first uses the glaive, it just takes about two hours to cut through a door and is a bit bit boring. But then once he, he uses it better, it, it becomes um, a lot cooler and a bit more... It kind of, it's kind of like the, the, the scenes in Tron with the discs. Reminded me a bit of that. Um, <laughs> Maybe another influence. Yeah. It's much cooler when he's when when he's attacking the the beast with it. Well, yeah, yeah, because it's, it's yeah. Thought, that, thought, yeah, we've waited this whole film for him to use this thing, and then it takes ages to cut through a door. And so true. I it's thought true. it was a little bit of a letdown to begin with. It's, it's a cool prop. It installs though. Um, the the lightsabers don't do anything. Like Luke, Luke never uses it. <laughs> in Star Wars, <laughs> um, it, it's just the the, um, the the duel between Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader, isn't it? Which which yeah. is <laughs> actually quite a poor uh, sequence because it, it's it, it's just like a couple of people waving a stick around, isn't it? Because it's not a big set piece in, in the film; it's not meant to be. It's like a, just meant to distract the stormtroopers, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, so um, I think what I'm saying is you're right about the glaive. However, you know, 
I think Star Wars had that problem as well, but people people don't worry about it so much because subsequently quite a lot has been done with lightsabers, so people get more of what they want. And I'm sure had there been a Krull 2, it would have been Glaive City. Yeah. I don't have anything else to say, really. What about you? Um, probably not really, no. Not anything else. Well, I've really enjoyed talking about a, a film that's blatantly not a horror film. Um, and, you know, I think I'd like to do more stuff like this. Um, but I think we need to know if people are even interested because, you know, uh, I don't yeah. really want to upset the small number of people who don't hate me. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, um, but say, say you're feeling positive about the whole podcast, how would you get in touch, Paul? Of course, um, yeah, you, you would get in touch um, via Facebook, where yeah. you can find us a Very British Horror, and you can get in touch by Twitter, where we're at Very Brit Horror, or you can email us at verybritishhorror at gmail.com. Brilliant, I'm going to things right now. Yeah, and you can like us and follow us on all of those various things. And um, if you want to, it'd be nice to have a little review of our podcast and what we do. Only nice reviews. Yeah. One star, the sound quality is terrible. Um, don't need we to. Both, we both have very fragile egos and, and, and that, that would really not do them any good. Yes, I think, I think that's right. Well, you know... It's been fun, Paul, uh, but I think we need to say goodbye. And um, until next time, when who knows? Now, now, now we've opened it up. Who knows what, what, what we'll be talking about next time? It could be literally anything. But, you know. <laughs> Four weddings and a funeral next, I think. Four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. Until then, I've been Chris Denton. And I'm Paul Monk. Good night. Bye.